Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Kudzu Vine for May 1st, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, excited about tonight's show. We're going to have Miles Coleman come on the show for, he's been on multiple times when we have guests so regularly, we kind of lose count, and that's the case with Miles been a little bit since we've had him on, but he is going to come on tonight and talk to us about, uh, first off, this demographic trend report on different counties and which counties are growing fast and which counties are shrinking across the nation, because obviously um, demographics are destiny many times. And then we'll also talk to him about some other key 2022 races. Um, So we're excited about that. Um, But right off the bat, we had planned last week, if we had time, to discuss a, a, a trial that, um, or a, a hearing, I should say, that's probably a more appropriate word, a hearing that Marjorie Taylor Greene had uh, taken part in to maintain ballot access, and we didn't get to it. But then, to make sure she was still in the news, she made two other statements and then apparently had a pull apart with one of her colleagues. So we have plenty of Marjorie Taylor Greene news to discuss, but let's back it up a week and start off with that hearing, um, to, you know, so she could maintain uh, her spot on the ballot. Tim, kind of set the table there and tell us, you know, why was this in question? Marjorie Taylor Greene in a hearing. It was uh, it was interesting. Uh, I actually met one of the people that was involved in this. There was a bunch of uh, citizens here in the 14th district and a couple of uh, voter groups that were bringing uh, a suit basically stating that Marjorie Taylor Greene should be denied access to the ballot because of her involvement in the January 6th insurrection. Um, And truthfully, I'm going to have to say, David, that those who brought this to court should never have done so because they had no direct proof that she planned anything that she participated in any way in the breach of the Capitol, that she participated in any way in the violence. There is also no direct proof that she had any advanced knowledge that any of this was going to happen. All they basically produced were her public words, which everybody already knew, and and which, curiously, uh, as we'll get into in a moment, she couldn't seem to recall. Um, So 
um, that's basically why this came to pass. Yeah, I think it uh, grows out of um, reconstruction and, and wanting to get people that were, you know, not that were involved in the um, secession movement back in the 1860s out of government, make sure they just didn't return to their seats um, after um, the country was right. unified. But obviously, um, this is a bit different. Um, I, I don't know that the framers could have um, predicted what happened on January 6th. But um, while she may have been a cheerleader for a lot of things that happened after the fact, premeditation is a different level of proof. And um, it, it did, you know, it made a lot of spectacle. And, of course, you alluded to it. She didn't remember a lot of um, facts that happened. And, and sometimes her remembering uh, facts is really not her problem. It's just the things that she'll say off the wall. Before I get into some of those, is there any more, um, you know, about the re- you know the lack of recollection or anything else you want to mention about that hearing? Yeah, I, I, I watched a good bit of it, and she did everything they would ask her, and, and it was some of the more virulent statements that she had made, the the the, the more controversial stuff. And she just kept saying, I don't recall, I don't remember doing that. Well, if somebody tweeted that, you know, I have a large staff and I don't know what my whole staff is doing all the time. And uh, she she just kept saying stuff like that, even though she stuck to her guns when it came to like voter fraud and the big steal and stuff like that. She did say, yeah, she she believed that uh, the election was stolen from Trump and stuff like that. But again, I got to say, there's a difference between saying off-the-wall stuff and then being accused of this crime and them having proof of it, which... They had no proof of it, and and the judge who was conducting uh, the the case uh, seemed skeptical of the whole proceeding. To to be honest with you, and and I imagine that he will recommend that no action be taken against her, and then you know uh, based on his recommendation, of course it goes to Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, and he will make the decision as to whether or not she will appear on the ballot or not. Well, she's at least going to be on the primary ballot anyway. They've already been printed, and early voting starts tomorrow. And so, you know, if if he did decide that she could not be uh on the ballot, I guess they would decide that all her votes didn't count. I, I don't know how they would do that, but I would be stunned if they made any kind of ruling like that. If I was ruling on it, I wouldn't kick her off the ballot. They just don't have the proof. Yeah, I, and um, it just seems like something that was brought now. Um, and I wonder if it is some Republicans more so than Democrats that may have brought it, because there is a sizable but in no way a majority 
of Republicans, um, particularly in the district and outside, that are embarrassed by her. But they just don't yeah. have well, the numbers to I, defeat her in I, the polls. I, I can't speak to how these people vote. The one gentleman I met that was involved in it, I met him at a county Democratic Party meeting in another county, not my own. I, I won't say which county. I just happened to meet him there in passing, and he was there to speak about what they were doing. Now, I don't know if he's a Democrat or not or if they just invited him there uh, representing that group to speak. It could could have been just that, uh, and he might have had no political affiliation. I, I just I, I couldn't tell you about that, Uh David, I don't know. No. Yeah, I mean, because we know that fundraisers have taken place in some pretty well-connected areas for her Republican opponents. I mean, the Coosa Country Club yes. which is probably one of the highest dollars venues you can rent in this district. Um, yeah. Had a fundraiser for one of her opponents, Jennifer Strahan. Well, let's go ahead and um, move on to the statements she's made. And there's actually two statements. And there's the incident, but let's start with the first statement, which was probably the most outrageous and, I guess, more offensive um, or, or to more people because of how many people belong to the Catholic Church. Um, there was a statement that the church, and that was edited, I think, at first, it said the church has come under the control of Satan and um, things like that. Now, it, she was referring to the Catholic Church, not other Protestant denominations, but does that make it any better? Not really. Um, not at all. And so she attacked the Catholic Church. Um, and you have to think, how many millions of voters vote Republican and attend Catholic services and are members of the Catholic faith? And she proclaims that the Catholic Church is under um, influence of Satan. Um, what a outlandish, crazy, and offensive um, statement to make all at once. Uh, Tim, what were your thoughts when you heard what she said on this um, interview? First thing I thought of when she said that, um, and, and, and I heard some of this when I, was, when I was a kid, and they were more prevalent, but the Klan used to attack the Catholic Church in, that, in a similar matter. Uh, they had no use for the Catholic Church at all. I even had a a, a member of it one time uh, explain to me that the Catholic Church uh, started World War II. Uh, I, I, I did protest a little bit and said, "Well, what?" I thought Hitler. And I, oh no, 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 no! It was it was the Catholic Church and their money that started World War II. So. Um, I think there is still a good bit of anti-Catholic bias um, in districts like this one, um, particularly when the Catholic Church is nowhere near as prevalent in the 14th Congressional District as they would be, you know, up north and, and, and those type of places. So, uh, and, and no, I'm not saying that all the voters down here is a bunch of Nazis and Klansmen and stuff like that. I'm just saying there is, there is an anti-Catholic bias uh, down here, an, an undercurrent of it. And so I have to wonder 
<laughs> if it hurt her that bad, actually saying it. Uh, maybe the people that, that heard her say it wouldn't even lump it as an attack on, on, on a church. It would be, they would lump it more with, you know, well, ha, 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 Marjorie said something off the wall again and on the liberals, that sort of thing. I could be wrong. Are, are you of the opinion, David, that that statement will hurt her with the voters in this district? I don't think it will move big numbers in certainly the primary, probably not the general. Where it may hurt her is, you know, could hurt in some fundraising in that maybe people fundraise against her, like maybe we'll give money. There could be some numbers to move. I, I mean, it's just it's just more talk about why she's, you know, so out of touch, uh, you know, to be a leader in our government. I mean, this is, you know, this is right out of the Jewish Space Lasers playbook. Um, yeah. You really, while the people that think this, you know, you know they exist, that are this kind of thing, they should be very small in number, and they should not be the leaders. She's the leader of the congressional district, and she's the you know drum major of this nonsense, mm-hmm. and that's what's so mm-hmm. scary. Um, and then I guess later in the or in the same interview that the clip got released later, she then talks about abortion, and she says that you know that women are thinking about thinking about getting abortions. Satan whispers in their ear and encourages oh. them. Um, and so there's more of this, you know, Satan guide and everything, including the Catholic Church, which is anti-abortion in a lot of circles. I know that the, the church's position is not monolithic as far as, like, the supporters and the followers. But, I mean, it, it's so funny that she actually conflicts, um, you know, in, in the policy position of some and, and, of course, you know, her attack on this. Um, your thoughts on that statement? Well, I think that's a thing of uh, especially this has happened a lot on the right in the last few years. And if, if we have a different policy position, it's not a different policy position. No, no, no. It has to be more. It is good and evil. If they're right, they're good, and we're wrong, and we're evil. That makes them able to defend their positions even more, and also it puts God on on their side. Uh, isn't that convenient for them? But that that's what they're doing there, and that's what she's doing there. If somebody has a different idea that, than she does on reproductive rights, then they're evil. You know, they're sinful, and, and she's right, and, and she's with God and, and America and, you know, uh, and, and all of that stuff. But that, that's, what, that's what that stuff is. Yeah, when I heard these two statements and her invoking Satan and, and, and both things, do you remember the old Dana Carvey skit where um, the church lady would, um, you know, talk about Satan and and did that not this not sound like somebody parroting that in some way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, although still, I got to believe that Marjorie Taylor Greene made up her mind early. I still believe it, that she was going to say stuff like this, just the more off the wall, the better, because it's always good for a headline. It's always good to raise money off of. And uh, she's a very ambitious person. She's not going to stay. She does not want to stay as as a 14th district, you know, congressional representative. She's wanting to move up in some way, in a big way, in a hurry. And this is the way that she's chosen to do it. I got to give her credit if this was her plan. It seems to be succeeding. I mean, there's people probably that live up in northern Maine uh, along the Canadian border, and you can ask them who Marjorie Taylor Greene is, and she will know, or they will know who Marjorie Taylor Greene is. That's what she wants to get is known. And she, she's done it. She's done it. Ever, ever, everybody, I, I bet you that just about as many people know her name as know Nancy Pelosi's name, and I bet most voters know her name and recognize it before they would Kevin McCarthy's name. What do you think? Oh, definitely so on that. Um, but the only thing is, is um, you know, this would have been her time to try to move up. You would think in this election she had um, a, a Senate race. Could she possibly figure out how to box out? Uh, Herschel Walker, even from announcing, I think that would have been the trick, is if she would have said she was interested in the running for Senate, could that have kept Herschel Walker from moving back from Texas to run, or could she have been the, um, you know, gubernatorial, you know, true Republican challenger uh, to Brian Kemp that was supported by Donald Trump? I mean, those seems like those seem like the two... Um, avenues to move up, I guess the only other options would be wait four years because there'll be nothing else statewide in four years because John Ossoff is not up until 2026. All the state constitutional offices are not up until 2026 unless you think she's somebody's president or vice presidential choice um, in some way. And there's there's something you have not mentioned, and that is House leadership. She apparently is going to hitch her wagon to McCarthy and support him wholeheartedly in his election as speaker if the Republicans gain the majority, which they uh, are very likely to do. And if he if that happens and she brings a block of votes along that she delivers to him, He's going to owe her something. Do you think he's going to put her in the House leadership, and then she would have a bully pulpit to preach from in a hurry, wouldn't she? Well, she'd have to do a lot of real work. I mean, you think even if, you know, she'll probably get off a double secret probation if they take the majority back and she'll be back on all her committees anyway. And she's never had to do all that. So all those meetings, if she actually attended like a real um, congresswoman, which I don't know, she might just blow it all off, but she'll actually have to stop being on, you know, uh, 
Matt Gates' podcast and uh, Steve Bannon's show and all these other th- appearances that she does. I mean, she'll actually have to do some real work, and that may um, be pretty distasteful. Well, the one final thing that kind of <laughs> came up in all this was early in the week, we heard that um, Lauren Boebert was tired of being in her shadow, and then later in the week, apparently they got into a verbal argument to where it was almost like a pull-apart. Um, I don't know all the details. I just read the tweet I read, you know, the report I read, that they were very mm-hmm. unhappy with each other to the point where they wanted to separate them so they wouldn't make any more of a scene. What have you heard about this? Well, I, I really have heard about the same thing you have, and and uh, m- most of it has been running around the Twitter universe uh, again, uh, or, or you saw it as well. And I've been scratching my head a little bit about this because how many pictures have we seen of those two and say Matt Gates together all over the country? Appearing everywhere you can think to appear. Now, is it a queen bee type fight? Uh, I don't know. Uh, did did uh, one of them say something about the other one? Because neither one of them takes it, as you know, as well as they dish it out. Uh, and, and so, therefore, was because of their personalities, what was this clash inevitable? But I, I don't know any more than you do, David. But knowing those, knowing those two, looking at those two, I, I, I'm not surprised. I, I just, I wish I could yeah, be surprised, a, but I'm not. Definitely an interesting event, and maybe someone will have more uh, information in coming weeks. Well, right now we're going to switch over and welcome back to the podcast uh, for the multiple times now from the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia, Miles Coleman. Welcome, Miles. Oh, thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for coming on with all that great information you have. And um, even though we're going to talk about some 2022 races later, we want to start out with a report that y'all put out about the last month about the politics of the nation's fastest-growing counties, because America does not sit still. It sits in inception. People move. They change places to live, and the past 10 years have been um, no different. Um, the Sun Belt has been growing for a while, um, and it continues to do the same thing again. Um, just kind of give us that bird's-eye view and tell us the places that are um, you know, experiencing big growth. Yeah, it's 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 uh, you know after the governor's race here in Virginia last year, you know when we had a Republican win in a Biden plus ten state, one of my takeaways was guess what? There's no such thing as a permanently red or permanently blue state. Um, well, point being, I think part of that is because the electorates in these states are always changing because of population. Uh, but yeah, it is uh, uh, really in the Sun Belt specifically. Uh, a lot of the growth tends to be in some of these exurban counties uh, outside of the urban areas. You know, in that, 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 that a context of Georgia, this would be you know like a Gwinnett or a Hall uh, counties like that. Uh, you know, and we you know, just for. Uh, 
Um, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and something that the Democrats were saying there for a long time was, okay, well, well, guess what? We 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 have a lot of Northerners who 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 are moving down to North Carolina. Um, that's going to kind of help turn the state blue, uh, which it maybe has. Uh, but something we need to keep in mind is not all migration ban ban if it's Democrats. I mean, if I. Uh, uh, I think especially after the 2020 election, I was saying that North Carolina has sort of a Florida problem for Democrats. Uh, what I mean by that uh, is when you typically think of fast-growing areas in North Carolina, yes, may, maybe some areas like you know Charlotte or Raleigh uh, come to mind, which are definitely blue-trending areas. Uh, but actually, the county in North Carolina that that's gained the most population uh, is called Brunswick County, which is on our coast, uh, and it's attracted a lot of retirees uh, who are bringing their Republican votes with them. And uh, so you've seen somewhat of a Florida effect in North Carolina, where where uh, we have we have an old older population in some some of these counties that's kind of uh are some counties more conservative. Uh contrast that to something like a Georgia or a Texas, uh, which, you know, doesn't have many places for older people or you know uh, doesn't have much beachfront properties uh for older people to retire to. Uh most of the growth has been in kind of those metro areas, uh which may help Democrats in the longer term. Uh, and one of kind of our hot takes out of that was, you know, I could see a situation within the maybe next few pre- presidential cycles uh, where Texas is more competitive than Florida. So we'll see. Yeah. Now, uh, the kind of the, the opposite of that, and I've heard that same thing about Florida, imports a lot of Republican-leaning retirees. You said it about North Carolina. They've got to come from somewhere. They've got to come from you would think the industrial Midwest, uh, um, yes. you know, Ohio, uh, uh, Pennsylvania, places like that, and you would think that those places would, in turn, after losing these Republican voters, would get a little more Democratic. But in the case of certainly Ohio, that doesn't seem to be the case. So, where are these voters coming from, and how is it changing the shrinking communities? Yeah, it's it's. Uh... You know, I think what may be a real relevant thought here, too, is, you know, I think Obama just may have made the Midwest look bluer than actually is. Um, I'll, <laughs> um, I'll give you an example. Uh, one state that has been kind of um, – a lot of its counties have been losing population is Wisconsin. Uh, it's seen uh, – Okay, growth. Um, but after the election, when Biden uh, only barely squeaked by in a state he was expected to carry fairly easily, uh, one of my friends who's a Democratic operative there tells me, "Well, guess what? You know, if the Democrats don't nominate someone from the, the Midwest, I think carrying the state of Wisconsin is going to be a huge pain in the ass." <laughs> and I think he's right. Uh, but it is, 
I think what I'm interested to see going forward uh, is in the in the uh, Trump era, uh, we've seen you know him turn out a lot of non-frequent voters. Uh, you know, in the context of the Midwest, this would be a lot of uh, non-college educated white voters. Are those going to keep coming out uh, for other Republicans? So. Uh, we'll have to uh, see in in a year like 2022. Um, you know, it's quite frankly looking like a very good Republican year. Um, and I would say also on parts of the Midwest, uh, you have a lot of areas up there um, that used to have pretty vibrant um, industries like mining, like the Iron Range, uh, yeah, up in Minnesota. Uh, you have some places in Ohio and western Pennsylvania uh, that, will, you know, have seen their, their kind, kind of decline in steel industry. Well, that's what a lot of those union jobs have left, um, and that's, that, that's a big reason why a lot of those people voted Democratic. Now uh, they're saying those up there are kind of, it seems, identifying with, with the Republicans just because um, just because politics has become more kind of along social lines. Well, one final question, and this is kind of for on this demographics. I am going to have some questions later um, uh, about some of the 2022 races, but I wanted to ask about the West. And this is kind of projection. It's based on science and natural resources. We've seen places like Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Utah, all gain lots of population. At the same time, we've seen the water levels of the Colorado River, Lake Mead, Lake Powell just drop drastically. This past week, one of the drains in the Hoover Dam that was put in in 1971, 50 years ago, the water level dropped below that drain for the first time. It's getting very, very drastic. At some point do we see the water prices go up, the scarcity of water um, really impact a lot of those states, and people say, we got to go where there's some water. Let's go to states with lots of water resources that also have the warm climate we're looking for, and maybe places that have been kind of passed over like Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee, outside of Nashville, start to grow. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's an interesting thought. I've kind of had um, sort of along those lines. I've thought, you know, longer term, with climate change, you know, uh, basically making the temperature uh, uh, higher. Is that mean? Will that mean in the future some states that people are leaving right now, like New York and Pennsylvania, who you know have who are going to have less of a hot climate? Are those going to see kind of an increase within the next few decades uh, for people looking for like a mild temperature? But uh, yeah, I think water is one of those issues that uh, us on the East Coast, you know, we kind of take for granted. Uh, I think one dynamic that's going on uh, in uh, really in the Western United States 
uh, is an exodus of people from California. Uh, you have a lot of Californians going to places like Idaho and Arizona. I think in terms of our politics, that's going to be uh, something to watch out for again. Um, and to what you were saying, I remember when I was in college, uh, I went to LSU, uh, in one of my political science classes, uh, at the time, uh, one, one of our speakers was uh, – was at the time of the Lieutenant Governor Jay Darden. And I kind of joke that if I ever went into politics, you know, um, I mean, in terms of elected politics, my dream job would be the Lieutenant Governor of Louisiana because the whole thrust of the job is to promote tourism. Uh, but point being, he was really saying, okay, well, one, one of our long-term goals uh, is to promote Louisiana as a place for retirees. I don't know if that's uh, uh, how successful they're, they're being on that, that uh, front, uh, but that's that's something that crossed my mind there. Yes. Well, I'm going to pass it over to Catherine Smith, and I want to welcome Catherine to the show tonight <laughs> for questions, and then we'll pass it to Tim on these demographic reports. And then we'll might come back around with some 2022 questions. Catherine? Hey, thanks for being on the show tonight. I'm sorry I'm a little late tonight. Um, I was really fascinated by looking at this map, the purple and uh, green map. I was really fascinated by, uh, David touched on it a little bit, the west. There is so much growth in Idaho, uh, sort of up and down the north just outside of California. So, and it, is that to be explained by um, the move away from California, do you think? And if that's the case, does that improve, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, improve Democrat, Democratic uh, potential in those areas? Yeah, so a few notes I would say there. Uh, is a lot, or not all of it, but a lot of it has uh, uh, specifically in areas like Utah and kind of eastern Idaho, uh, that those areas have a high Mormon population, and they are uh, they are really kicking out kids, I'll say that. <laughs> um, and you can kind of see that in the population numbers. Uh, but one thing which I'm glad you brought up, um, is what we have to keep in mind about California is, yes, this was the first census ever uh, where it actually lost the congressional seat. I mean, for a long time, California was really was really gaining. I think after the 1990 census, it gained like five or six seats, you know, just huge growth there. Uh, it slowed down a bit, but basically point being, one thing we have to keep in mind about Cal, uh, California is over the last decade, it actually grew, but just not at the rate it needed to keep all of its seats, if that makes sense. There were other states that yeah. just grew faster. Uh, but, yeah, I think the, um, I think the short answer is it's going to vary a bit. Uh, I can say, you know, I've heard anecdotally that there have been uh, lots of Californians who have uh, picked up and moved to Austin, Texas. That's sort of a very liberal area. Uh, but, I mean, I have to imagine 
places like Idaho and Nevada, uh, I can see a lot of people or ex-Californians moving to those states who are maybe fed up with California's high taxes, so stuff like that. So I think uh, I think it's going to vary a bit in terms of the political impact, but I mean it's definitely. I think in terms of Western politics, the kind of exodus in California is going to be um, very impactful. Well, that's really interesting because I, I, I was really struck by that. And that's all David covered all the questions I had, so I'm going to pass it to Tim for the rest of this. Thanks so much. Sure, sure. Hey, good evening, Miles. Thank you for being with us again. Uh, one thing I noticed. Uh, that struck me on your fastest-growing county survey, you compared the elections of 2012 and 2020. Now, in two-thirds of the 63 counties there, the Republicans lost ground from 2012 to 2020, sometimes a lot of ground. And I was wondering, because of the candidates, how much of that was because Donald Trump was on the ballot in 2020, and how much of it was changing demographics between 2012 and 2020, or was it a combination of, of, of both things that, that caused the Republicans to lose ground like that? Yeah, that's a very good point, you know, because a lot of the – a lot of the fastest growing counties are these large ones that are, you know, still Republican leaning counties, but just not as Republican as they used to be. Uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. in Georgia, you know, I, I uh, you know, this would be like a Hall County or for for, for a Scythe County County in Georgia that, you know, the Democrats lose, but just not by as much. So, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think Texas is a sort of a good example um uh, in that there are some counties in Texas uh I think Collin County may be a good good example in that I think Romney was over 70 there or kind of at least close. I think Trump only mm-hmm. barely carried it, but in 2020 I'm pretty sure you had John Cornyn who was up for re-election to the Senate, you know, he's you know not you know, he's more of a quote-unquote Texas Republican, you know, uh, someone who uh, who more of those traditional Texas suburbanites were more comfortable with. Uh, you know, he carried a county of Ohio by Colin decently, but just not, you know, he did better than Trump, but not as good as Romney, if that makes sense. Uh, so mm-hmm. that tells me part of it is demographics as well. Uh, you know, I used to um, – something that I thought was, was uh, interesting um, was, you know, I could uh, – before I moved down here to Charlottesville, uh, I, I used to live up in northern Virginia, uh, up in Loudoun County. Uh, that's an area where, you know, it would be like, like – Traditionally, it would really go for you know uh, these types of moderate Republicans like Frank Wolf or John Warner or even Barbara Comstock. Uh, but just because the demographics have changed there so much, uh, you know, 
I think it, I think in 2012 Romney lost it, but it was fairly competitive, only by four or five points. Uh, but last year in our governor's race, Loudoun County uh, voted against Youngkin something like 55 or 45. So it, uh-huh. it's uh, I think it's a combination of both, but. Uh, I can see why candidates would matter in certain places, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, an- another thing I was wondering about, when you do surveys like this, are you seeing an acceleration of what I would call the cluster effect, or we're just basically seeing red and blue voters cluster together to the point that we essentially have two separate countries, a red country and a blue country. Oh, yeah. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, I think that's really been one of the, the, the uh, big, big, big trends we've seen in our politics. I mean, in, um, I mean, in North Carolina, where I grew, grew, grew up, uh, it was really a shock that in, in 2020, uh, Trump picked off a few more counties, say, in eastern North Carolina that are had traditionally been Democratic. Uh, but, you know, it was just crazy that I, like, I remember in 2010 and 2012 where, you mm-hmm. know, Wake County, which, uh, which is Raleigh, uh, that's the county that would go for Republicans like Richard Burr and Pat McCrowey. Back when he was seen as more of a fresh face, uh, you would have those types of Republicans carry Wake County. Flash forward to 2020, after massive population growth there, Biden gets, I think, over 60% in Wake County, uh, but he still can't carry the uh, state just because the uh, rural areas have moved so far in the Republican direction. So, you know, I, I think another very good example. Um, is in Georgia, uh, even though John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock ended up winning their Senate races last year, um, I know there were a few counties, at least in the, the southern part of the state, that are probably losing population um, that backed Michelle Nunn and Jason Carter back in 2014. Uh, counties like that flipped Republican, but in the meantime, you have a county like uh, you know, like a like a, a Gwinnett that David Perdue carried in fourteen and just gets blown out <laughs> in a few years <laughs> later. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's just been we've kind of been undergoing this kind of big sort over the last few decades or so, uh, and I think that yeah. definitely. Um, I think the population pad path patterns sort of speak to that as well. Yeah. So I'm going to jump over and, and ask one election question, then throw it back to David, who's going to have some more, I know. But Ohio's Republican primary is Tuesday. So the big question, will Donald Trump's endorsement of J.D. Vance Decide the outcome in Vance's favor. Is Donald Trump's endorsement worth what it used to be? And will we know that on Tuesday in Ohio? 
Yeah, that is, you know, I think that's probably one one of the big questions of not just the Ohio race, but of this whole month. You know, I've been calling it May Madness. <laughs> but, you know, this is when primary season is going to really uh, start to kick off. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, the conventional wisdom uh, seems to be that Vance is a bit of a favorite, but, you know, I was talking to my associate at the Crystal Ball, his name's Kyle Condit. He's like Mr. Ohio. He literally wrote the book on on Ohio. I was talking to him about this, and it's just about as wide open a primary as they come. Uh, so it's going to be, you know, it's at least a five or six way primary. Uh, really, any of these candidates could uh, have some chance of victory. Uh, but I mean, you better believe if Vance ends up pulling it out, I think Trump is going to be there uh, trying to get credit for it. I know that. Mm. So you're trying to gently tell me if I'm watching the results Tuesday night, it's probably going to be a long night then, right? (laughs) It could. It could, yes. And, you know, what you have to keep in mind about Ohio as well uh, is unlike a lot of the states in the South, Ohio doesn't have runoffs. So you you could get whoever wins a five- or six-way primary with with some, you know, I could – uh, I mean, I could easily see who, who, whoever wins. You know, they could maybe win with thirty or thirty-five percent of the vote, and that's wow, good. wow. <laughs> with, mm. on, on that remarkable uh, point, I'm going to send it back to David. David. <laughs> Yeah, so before I get to my question, I do want to let everybody know that uh, Donald Trump apparently spoke tonight about how well. J.D. Mandel is doing So um, maybe he's um, Hedging his bets Talking about J.D. Mandel um, Which from my understanding is not a real Person running for Ohio Senate Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah let's get Into Georgia and uh, Miles I sent you that poll I know you Probably already seen it broken down the cross Tabs before I even sent it to you But Survey USA they may not be the best pollster, but they share their work. They show their work, so at least you can see where they got to where they got to. So I always appreciate that. And this last poll we got was no exception. Um, it was very interesting in that it showed Brian Kemp with a five-point lead over Stacey Abrams in a possible matchup, but at the same time it showed Raphael Warnock with a five-point lead over Herschel Walker. Now, obviously, we don't even know if that's going to be the exact matchups. I think the betting money would have that as it, but it's probably not exact. But I think two things are true. And Tim may disagree with one of them, Catherine may too. I do think that the number of swing voters has dropped, ticket splitters has dropped um, in the past few cycles. But I still think a few exist. And according to this poll, there are ticket splitters. There are these things called Warnock-Kemp voters because apparently Raphael Warnock does better in the rural areas than uh, Stacey Abrams does. He does better among white voters, does better among the oldest voters in Georgia than Stacey Abrams does. So these folks, apparently, there's something on this poll 
that are supporting Brian Kemp and are supporting Raphael Warnock. Tell me, are there still people that are going to split tickets, particularly in Georgia or other places? Or did SurveyUSA just find a bunch of weirdos that really don't exist in the, in the wild? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think they're, you know, I don't know if the spread is going to be 10 points, you know, but I think that they are definitely, there's still a certain chunk of the electorate that's willing to split its ticket. I mean, a perfect example uh, is, you know, going back to the Georgia runoffs last year. I think Warnock ended up winning by something like 50,000 of votes. I think, I forget what the exact number is, but he did end up running a bit ahead of the Ossoff. Uh, you could kind of see that it's, uh, you know, especially sort of um, in areas like Buckhead, uh, that I think maybe saw Leffler as more of a, maybe a further right type of Republican than David Perdue, and they split their votes like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, even in the runoff, uh, the runoff last year, there was, you know, it was mostly concentrated in, uh, some of the suburban Atlanta precincts, uh, where there was still a bit of a difference between the candidates. Uh, you know, it could. It's uh, what what I. Uh, uh, you know, I think ticket splitters can be su- su- surprising sometimes because I think even uh, in 2014. You know, I always go back to these Obama era midterms because, you know, we're in 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 another midterm with the Democratic president. I remember talk at the time that, okay, well, uh Nathan Deal probably wins outright, but David Perdue, uh, there's some chance that he ends up in a runoff. Uh, so there looked like there was gonna be some t- ticket splitting there. As it ended up yeah, I think they uh, both to do and deal won by almost the exact amount, about 7.8. Um, and it was pretty much a straight party vote. Uh, so that was sort of unexpected. But, I mean, Georgia has, uh, you know, when um, when Johnny Isaacson was on the, the, the uh, ballot as, as Republican, he'd run way ahead of <laughs> everyone else. Uh, so there were some ticket splitters there too, uh, but you know I think that that trend has been, you know, which which is which is something I don't like as someone who you know likes to uh, see kind of the differences by, between elections and candidates. It's been that that the trend has been kind of more towards straight party voting, but I think there are always going to be. Um, those, you know, I think my grandma is a very good guy example. And uh, she, uh, she lives in Louisiana. Uh, she's usually a Republican voter, but her line is, you know, I vote for the person. Uh, that's why she voted for John Bell Edwards, uh, even though he was a Democrat. So I think there are going to always be uh, some voters like that. I think there are fewer of them. Um, and then I think you have to look at, you know, what I think is um, what's going to be interesting is, you know, let's say, um, you know, let's say Brian Kemp ends up 
being renominated, which, you know, as we said, I think this point looks like a decently safe bet that, that, that he will, uh, you know, maybe even in the first primary. What's going to be interesting is Kemp, you know, fairly or not, I think he's going to see, be seen by some voters as kind of the kind of the uh, quote-unquote anti-Trump Republican just because, you know, Trump is so against him now. Uh, so could that actually help him uh, in those same suburb and, and areas which would be maybe less comfortable with a candidate like Herschel Walker? Yeah, I, th- I definitely think it'll be interesting that more polls will come out. Hopefully we get more cross-tabs, and we can give in to break this down. I would love to ask some redirects, but I want to get Catherine and Tim some more chances to ask about other races across the country. So I'm going to pass it over to Catherine. I'm going to pass it to, back to Tim because I don't have it. I didn't prepare any additional questions. So I know Tim has some, and David will have some more. So thank yeah, you. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually do want to ask you about one more race, but, uh, and uh, it, it's a state that we talk about a lot on here. But, uh, you know, we we can see, you know, if, if this is a typical midterm year, that the Republicans are going to have a good year because the white House is occupied by by Democrat and generally the party in power in their first midterms gets beat. That's historical fact, and and I'm not going to dispute it this year. And that's why I'm asking you about this. Is Mark Kelly going to hang on in Arizona? Yeah, that is uh, that's an interesting case. You know, kind kind of as it was in 2020. I mean, he's been fundraising like, you know, nothing else. I mean, he's way ahead of the de- of basically all of the Republicans in terms of his fundraising. Um, you know, I don't think the Republican field, at least so far, has been, uh, you know, too impressive. I think this is something that Democrats across the, the country are kind of benefiting from. I mean, I think, you know, in Georgia, you know, Assuming he gets a nomination, I think Herschel uh, Walker is kind of like that. And, and, you know, he he seems like a you – know, um, I mean, he could well get uh, a job done, but he seems like a tremendously risky candidate. I'll say that. Um, mm-hmm. But in Arizona, they have their state attorney uh, general, uh, Mark Bernovich, who uh, seems a front runner for a while. Uh, but uh, he's not Trump's favorite, kind of like Brian Kemp, I'll say that. Uh, there are a few other kind of self-funding Republicans out there, uh, but, you know, it's – Arizona is – we have that in the same category uh, as Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania uh, as one of our toss-up states. Uh, so, you know, I think – I think Kelly, you know, it's basically a coin flip at this point, I would say. Um, but, you know, one thing that I'm watching in Arizona, kind, kind of like we were talking uh, with some of these other states like Florida and North Carolina, um, there's a decent senior citizen population in Arizona. Um, and mm-hmm. in 2020, when I was looking at some of the precincts of the returns in Arizona, 
um, it um, it seemed like Trump kind of underperformed with the senior vote in Arizona. Uh, so point being, I think the Republicans could have uh, some some area to improve with seniors in Arizona this year. That could uh, that could potentially help them. Uh, on the other hand, Arizona has a decent Hispanic population as well, um, and I think what was interesting about that about the 2020 election, you know, was Trump's gains with Hispanic voting places, you know, Texas and Florida. Uh, his drop with Hispanics in Arizona wasn't, uh, wasn't as sharp as some of the other states, uh, which may bode well for the Democrats this year, too, because I think in Arizona, what I was told um, is the Hispanic community still has some memories of Jan Brewer and that Papers Please law that they tried to uh, uh, that they tried to pass about ten years ago. Uh, but you know, I think in terms of you know, it's going to be one of those races where uh, it seems like Kelly, uh, as an incumbent in terms of race and money, he's doing what what he needs to do. Uh, but if he loses, it's just going to be because it's you know that much of a Republican year. All righty. I thank you for that, and I'll send it right back to David. David? Yes, last quick race. Uh, you mentioned Pennsylvania. Um, it, it really just looks like John Fetterman's going to win that primary. And I find that fascinating in that the, you know, the current Republican base of Trump, you know, because Trump pumps up in many cases, I think, like a false machismo where it's all about masculinity and everything else. Well, in that race, John Fetterman is just this presence that looks like he's off of pro wrestling. Um, if somebody <laughs> would have drafted him 20 years ago in the NFL draft, they'd say, man, what a physical specimen we got. What's that going to do in that election that um, the, Rep- the Democratic candidate looking like the, the prototype of what the Republicans actually want? Is that going to help Fetterman in a big way? Yeah, it's it's uh, and uh, before I start on Pennsylvania, I'll also uh, note something I forgot to say on Arizona is something to, to, to keep in mind there too uh, is it has a relatively late primary. I think they vote August second, so uh, you know in a field as open as the Arizona Republican side, uh, we'll see you know what. Uh, we'll see who who the Republicans kind of ultimately end up going with. You know, that's kind of kind of uh, ways off still. But uh, no, in Pennsylvania, that's going to be next month, or uh, <laughs> I should say this month, <laughs> uh, because it's May first. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, uh, you know, especially with Doctor Oz potentially being uh, the Republican nominee. You know, he he's been criticized for. Uh, some of his weak roots to Pennsylvania, uh, but he, his home base is kind of Montgomery County, uh, which is a typically blue suburban area. So I could potentially think we could. So I think we could potentially see in Pennsylvania, you know, maybe Fetterman ends up running a bit better than them Democrats usually do. 
uh, in some of the, the, the uh, rural areas, uh, but maybe Dr. Oz does a bit better in some of the suburbs that have been uh, trending more uh, more democratic recently. Uh, but yeah, it's been. I tell you, that's been a funny primary because it seems like Lamb, who you know, I think is, you know, I think is potentially presidential material. Uh, in terms of his resume and the elections he's won, you know, he's just struggling. And, yeah, would definitely be a surprise at this point if Fetterman doesn't get the nomination. Uh, but, yeah, it's, what I'm looking out for Fetterman as well is um, there, was a, uh, there was a poll this week, I think, um, I think it's Morning Consult that every quarter puts out a – um, kind of a survey of the most popular governors across the uh, country. Um, and, yes, Fetterman was or is a statewide elected official, uh, but he won on a ticket with Tom Wolf, who uh, his popularity has seen better days, I'll say that. Uh, so is that going to hurt the Democrats if they go with Fetterman? Uh, kind, kind of the unpopularity of the Wolf administration. I think he was. Uh, I think Tom Wolf's approval was about even, which isn't bad. But if it gets worse, you know that could potentially hurt. So it's, it's. Uh, I think Pennsylvania. It's, it's one of those states that it's going to have an interesting primary this month, uh, and it's actually the only state that we. Um, it's. It's the only state that we rate as a toss-up uh, that doesn't have a Democratic incumbent. So I think all the way to November, it's going to be one of those races that we're watching for sure. Oh, yes, definitely one of the more fascinating races. I, I'd agree. It, it's, it's an incredible problem for the Democrats in uh, Pennsylvania to have, to have both uh, Fetterman and Lamb both vying for this seat because they are top shelf recruits but only one can win well miles i want to do one more thing before i let you go um i know that one of your favorite things to talk about is which uh fast food chicken fingers are the best and i've read this conversation for many years and since the last time i've had you on the show i've had a chance to eat raisin canes and you're going to like what i have to say i think raisin canes is superior to zaxby's however I've also had a chance to eat PDQ down in Tampa, but it's North Carolina-based, and I think it's superior uh-huh. to Raisin Cane's. Your thoughts on no that? No kidding. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, no, I'll have to check that out. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, I usually stick to Cane's, but uh, that's something I'll keep in mind. Yeah, Raisin Cane's, it, it is superior to Zaxby's, no doubt. Even though Zaxby's is Georgia-based, you know, I, I'll admit it. But then um, PDQ, I was, I was very impressed with that as well. So um, yeah, like and eating chicken you, fingers uh, is not my number one thing, but uh, but I, I, <laughs> I even like most everybody else in America does. So uh, just you know, a what, thought there. Uh, well, Miles, thank Go ahead. Oh, uh, well, what I'm going to say quickly is uh, that the, the founder of Popeyes was actually a friend of my uh, – was a, uh, actually a friend of my great grandpa. You know, um, that's uh, 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 based in uh, New Orleans. It's a very small world there. 
so, you know, I always say, okay, well, uh, other than Ray's and Kane's, like, like uh, Popeye's is my second choice <laughs> just because of that. <laughs> yes. Well, Miles, thank you so much for coming on. If you want to leave the people with where they can read that report, um, where they can read you on social media, just any of that, do that real quickly for our listeners. Yeah, so it's it's uh, um, so that article is going to, to be uh, if you go to Center for Politics, uh, Center for Politics slash Crystal Ball, uh, they should be able to find that and all of our other articles which are up there for free. Um, and you know we should have more stuff coming out definitely this next month. Uh, as some of these primaries kind of unfold, uh, and just on Twitter, I'm at J Miles Coleman. Uh, I, as some of you may have figured out, I basically live on there. Uh, so always feel free to reach out to me about elections or politics. So uh, yeah. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show, and keep up the great work. Oh sure. Thanks Thank for you, having Miles. me again. Thank you, sir. <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Yes. Well, uh, that was Miles Coleman from Center of Politics at the University of Virginia. Uh, so glad he came on the show. And that's pretty much our time uh, next week. I- excited for that show. We may be can discuss that Survey USA poll amongst ourselves, and it may be that new polls come out. And, and no telling what Marjorie Taylor Greene will say and all these other things that could happen <laughs> until next week. But until then, with the Kudzu Vine. Good night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity?